Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris on today's Australian Open Round 4 catch-up. Taylor Fritz exacts revenge on Stefanos Tsitsipas. Qin Wenzheng makes the quarters. And Novak Djokovic back at his best against Manorino. Chris, today is the 22nd of January and we are here to catch up on round four of the Australian Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. What a round four we have had. We are now looking on to the quarterfinals. And I've got to say, the ladies' singles draw, that top half, it is as open as I think I have ever seen. Well, you might be looking forward. I'm looking back and thinking, eager, we really could have done with you in the semi-final lineup. And so could the organisers. They could do with a big name for that semi-final but hopefully there will be a great story no matter what you know your Stramska qualifier making it this far and is she gonna do a Radicanu is is that what we can call it now is it doing a Radicanu if you go on a run as a qualifier and maybe make a Grand Slam final well I mean it would be unheard of I mean it never happened before and then it might happen again but I do believe that she hasn't she has lost a set so doing a Radicanu is winning oh, all okay. of your matches in straight sets, all 10 of okay. them. So it's emulating her. But I mean, the goat of the qualifier winning a slam has to be Radicanu herself. Well, we're going to be talking about all of that action uh, today. We're also going to be looking back on day eight as well. And we are going to be revealing our collector set winner. Um, collector set has been... Chris, it's been crazy. It's broken all records, this Australian Open collector set. I have not broken any records in terms of the number of predictions actually, I've got yeah, right. You've not broken any records. You might have. Actually, I'm going I'm I'm to leave it there. But yes, we're going to be revealing our collector set winner later on. Um, but before we get into the episode, little celebration for, for Tennis Weekly Podcast. It is our 400th episode Wow, I feel like we only had 300 quite recently, if I'm honest. And, <laughs> I know. I mean, that was probably end of 2022 was 300. Yes. So, I yes. mean, what a feat, Joel. I think, um, does it feel like 400? Do you know what? I, I almost forget about the number or, or that we're on, unless it's like I'm editing late at night and uh, I have to put the little episode number uh, into our kind of publisher platform. But um, yeah, no, it's an incredible feat. I mean... Yeah, 400 episodes. I know Kim loves to actually, she's been listening back to episodes like episode one, episode two. And I do like to think we've we've come on just a little bit since then. Oh, she's loving it. And I think um, she was actually a little bit annoyed in the scheduling that I took this slot, yeah. took the glory of 400, <laughs> having joined most recently. Exactly. Yes, I know. Um, and we can just say, well done, Joel, you know, 400 in. And 
Here's to another 400 more. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, great. I can't wait. Um, yes, but yes, uh, pat on the back for Tennis Weekly Podcast. 400 episodes. Yeah, absolutely love it. But let's actually move on to the action. And we're going to start, Chris, with day nine. All the uh, the women's action that we had because, yes, we thought Svitolina, Azarenka, this was theirs for the taking. And did it prove to be that case? Absolutely not. We've got qualifier Diana Yastremska ousting Victoria Azarenka in straight set seven six six four. This was a very tough, tough tussle um, for Yastremska, who saved two set points in that first set. Had to come back from a breakdown in that second set. How impressed have you been with Diana Yastremska? Because I feel like I've only really spoken to her about the you know that ordeal she went through when she tested positive. And, uh, you know, she was off the tour for, for six months. But to come back, the tennis she is playing into a Grand Slam singles quarterfinal for, for the first time, that's very impressive. Yeah, and it just shows that you're able to do anything from anywhere in the women's game. I think we'll see this when we look at some of the other semi-finalists. They aren't necessarily the form players. Um, and with Yastremska, I mean, she's someone who has been, I think, as high as 21 in the world or very close to top 20. So she she does have the pedigree and she did a lot of that when she was in her teenage years, winning three titles before she turned 20. She really was a, a prodigy in many ways and many people thought that she would go a lot further, but she's got really big hitting and free hitting off both sides. And I always remember watching some of her matches and just thinking she's fearless. And I think maybe kind of in the last few years, um, her focus wasn't as much on tennis. I think she maybe had a lot of other things going on, maybe her Instagram account, um, but also the the conflict with Russia and the war. So I think that that's something which I think now is inspiring her in the way that she's playing and kind of performing a bit like a warrior on court in terms of how she's going after those big moments. And she really, she's doing it for her country. So I think it's impressive. But I mean, as a ranker, Joel, we have to talk about it. She should have won that first set and she probably should have won the second one as well. Up up a break in both, set points. Um, what went wrong? Yeah, it's surprising. You think the you know, the experience of someone like Nazarenka, who's had you know, she's had good form in the past at, at the Australian Open, um, would have been able to use that to get over the line in the first set. Um but yeah, she will be very, I think, disappointed. And as you said, I think the the, the power that Yastremska has, I do think she's one of the, the purest hitters, uh, you know, from the baseline on, on the tennis court. She hit 38 winners compared to Azarenka's 16. She came to the net as well. And actually, she's very handy at the net. She um, she uh, she won 12 out of 13 when she was at the net. So um, I think, you know, with Yastremska, she just sort of took it away from Azarenka, who wasn't able to just assert her game. And when she wasn't able to assert her game, I say... That was when I think Yastremska was was on top and able to to pull out the victory. And um, you know, as a qualifier, I think having those matches, being there, you know, the week before helps. But yeah, it's a big opportunity now for someone to, you know, someone who's not experienced at this level to go and seize their moment. Yeah, and you kind of talked about the experience of um, Azarenka, and a lot of the players have talked about it. As you do get. Um, a bit more mature on the tour, these opportunities don't come around as frequently. And sometimes it can make it harder in those moments um, to play with a loose arm. And I think on serve, she said it in her press conference afterwards, she wasn't happy with how her first serve performed. Um, It was quite a low first serve percentage for her and she only won 52% of first serve points behind it. So um, that does kind of scream a little bit of of tension in the arm. Um, And she was misfiring on the forehand. So 
I think it does present itself that, you know, it's out with the old order. And I think every quarter finalist is from Gen Z, Joel, which is the first time that we've had that for the women's game. We've never had that for the men's, obviously. We can't have because Djokovic is still around and Nadal as well. So it's new ground. It feels like it's just full of teenagers, uh, particularly um, in this top half. And, and then Krajikova. <laughs> yeah, and, and Krajikova. And I mean, I mean, just looking at the other, you know, the other matches that went on. I mean, we've got to sp- speak about Linda Noskova versus Alina Svitolina. Um, this was very sad, very tough to watch because Svitolina had to retire three love down against Noskova. Felt um, a spasm in her back and didn't feel like she was able to continue. Chris, she was your pick to win she was the, the singles trophy this is going to be a very bitter pill to swallow it was a really good opportunity for her she was playing fantastic tennis like top five tennis i think in auckland and she hadn't dropped a set coming into this match so you really think that the tears that she had were the tears of the the pain of having to retire but also the fact that this was the perfect opportunity for her and it was opening itself up for her to really do something special um, she had a great draw, obviously, at Wimbledon. She took out um, the number one seed in Iga Svantec. So you really have to think it's going to be, yeah, as you said, it's going to be tough. Um, but at the end of the day, will she be back? Absolutely. Um, and having kind of spent a year coming back onto the tour, I think it's definitely clear that she is very much a contender um, in Grand Slams and in tour level matches. I mean, she had just lost only 13 games across her three matches to reach round four. Um, and it just, I think, showed just the form and the level that, that Svitolina was playing at. I mean, just talking about Noskova, she defeated world number one Iga Svantec. She is in the, the quarterfinals. She is a player, um, you know, on the up. A lot of people talking about her. Is she like, I know we've got Qin Wenzheng, which we're going to get on into in, in a sec, but... Because you're the player who's defeated the world number one, do you feel like she is the, the front runner in this really open top half? Or do you still go with the seeds and the rankings? I think you'd have to say someone who's been to this stage before. Uh, uh, Quinn Wenjian reached the quarterfinals of the US Open. It's her second consecutive quarterfinal. She's been in fourth rounds before. Um, and the fact that she did kind of dis- dis- dispatch, sorry, um, uh, Doden in her previous in her fourth round match I really do think shows that she wasn't necessarily perturbed by the fact that this draw was opening up for her and sometimes you see you know when it's yours to lose in many ways players do get um, kind of a bit in their heads about it they do look ahead at the draw but she seems to be like a very um, grounded individual who I don't think that she'll let that kind of get in the way and she seems to be taking it well but for me Yastramska is going to be a, a real tricky customer to uproot because she's down and out in, in points and sets and games and she keeps coming back so I think that a player that doesn't know when they're beaten um, who has a lot of confidence more confidence than they've ever had who really believes they're going to do something um, I think that belief is something she can trade off and probably having had those more competitive matches I think Noskova needed to prove that she was going to back up that win and she hasn't had that opportunity yet well, looking at the other part of the top half, we've got Ching Wen Zheng versus Kalinskaya um, in the other quarterfinal. I mean, let's talk, Chris, about Kalinskaya because she's not like the others. She's not really an up and coming, you know, teenager. You know, she's she's twenty five years old. Um, you know, she's in or around the the hundred hundred ranking mark on the tour. Um, you know, she defeated Paulini six four six two. Again, I'm just surprised we're talking about a player like Kalinskaya, who is now in 
a quarterfinal for the first time in a Grand Slam. This one is probably the most surprising to me. I don't think many people would have picked it. She has actually been on my sort of radar a little bit because she did take out Harriet Dart at the Japan Open last year. Um, and I thought that wasn't necessarily a great performance from Dart. And then Dart went on to, you know, she's now made the biggest final of her career at a 100 tournament. So Dart was not playing badly. She also took out Heather Watson. So I saw her name a couple of times at the end of last year. And that was on the way to actually winning a one two five in Midland in the US. So she had some form at the end of last season. And then going into this season, she's had some good matches. I mean... Do I think that she had kind of quarterfinal potential? I didn't think that, but she pushed Kasakina all the way in Adelaide. Um, she took out Kuchikova in Adelaide as well. So she's playing some some good tennis, and I mean, I think she's having to kind of kind of get it done. I think against Stevens, she's grinding that one out. Um, but apart from that, she's been pretty secure in the way that she's been playing. So. I think in uncharted territory, there's nothing to lose. And I think a lot of these players, you know, her career highs are somewhere around 51, I think, in the world, currently at 75. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter what your ranking is now. It's about who can get the win. Yeah, and I mean, amongst these players who are in you know new territory for the first time, it might well come down to who handles these new experiences the best. But I mean, Ching Wen Zheng, who is here, as you said, she has been in a singles quarterfinal before. She did that at the US Open last year. I mean, she defeated Dodan of France, 6-love, six 6-3. Six Pretty ruthless. Job done in an hour. I just spoke about Noska, but, you know, defeating Sviontek. And is she is she the favourite? Do you feel like Zheng is, is, like, here and she's like, hang on, if I don't make the Grand Slam final here, this Grand Slam is a failure to me now? Um, I think there will definitely be a question mark. If she doesn't go further in the draw, I think a lot of people are now getting very excited for the prospect of like a Sabalenka Zheng final or, you know, a, a Coco Goff uh, or, or Sabalenka in that final. So I think that's what people are looking forward to. I think they do do that from the perspective of, you know, everyone wants to see the highest ranked players in the final unless it's kind of a home favourite. So um, I think that there's a lot of people who'd like to see that. I don't think it would necessarily be like a failure on her part because, you know, these players have all got to this stage and that's something that, when pushed on it, um, Svitolina said that once you reach the stage of a Grand Slam, you're beating good players. Um, and all of these players have been beating good players to get here. So there's no easy matches, especially in a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam. But I think her coaching setup is much more solid now. She's got Pear Reba back on side, who kind of parted ways with Coco Goff. Um, and I think that's working really well. I think she's actually added to her game from what was a successful end of last season. So on the form book, on the ranking, on the experience, you'd have to say that she'd be your pick. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she goes. I mean, I feel like there's that whole narrative around Lena and, and she must be thinking... And they met and everything. The, yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, if I get to a Grand Slam final, that is that is going to be that is going to be money. That is going to be big money opening up, big audiences opening up. Um, you know, there's been a lot of pressure on her and, and maybe maybe the Australian Open this year, um, it, it's her time. Um She's certainly, I think, the favourite. I mean, just just before we move on to the men, talking about the fact that, you know, this draw, to the casual fans, a lot of these players, they won't know. Will that mean that there'll be less interest, do you think, in the ladies' competition? Because, you know, before we, we were recording, we talked about the fact that, you know, I personally think there'll be people out there who think, well, the men's, the men's draw is shaping up very, very well. Top six seeds still in. And we've got this happening on in the ladies in the ladies draw. 
arguably the men's the men's draw is more exciting than the women's draw, which we haven't really said a lot. I think for the last last few Grand Slams. Yeah, Joel, you've been sold on WTA tennis for a while now. So this is I'm going to flip flop back now to the okay because this is stretching even <laughs> your kind of um, knowledge of WTA with some of the names who've made it to the yes uh, the quarterfinals. I mean, Kalin Skyer is like a WTA one two five player at yes, the moment, it's... not a regular two fifty five hundred Masters Tour player. Yes, she's not had much experience at that level. That's for sure. Um, what do I think? I think. Personally, I like seeing um, a more inexperienced player play against a seed or someone who's who's been in the situation before. And then that creates quite a fun narrative. You know, I think we saw that in the Noskova Sviontek match when it's upset alert. People love that. But I think it's now very hard for people to know who to root for. The story is a bit confusing. You know, I think there's obviously a player who's not able to play for their nation as part of that. So then that might not be the story of the person that you root for. You've got the whole... Istremska playing for Ukraine so there are some stories in there as well but it is a bit unusual when you're like I'm not sure who should be playing and I'm not sure what would necessarily bring about the best matches because I think these players play particularly well against players they shouldn't be beating um, or on paper they shouldn't be beating and when they play against each other I think we've seen a few in the past where um, it might not be the highest level so fingers crossed that I'm proven wrong and we do get some great matches but um, I think some people will be doing some Googling before they hit the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, for sure. Certainly. And moving on to the men's matches that we had on day nine. Let's first of all talk about Carlos Alcaraz and Sasha Zverev, because they're going to be facing each other in their quarterfinal. Intriguingly, uh, Zverev has a leading head-to-head against Alcaraz, 4-3. Um, Alcaraz defeated... yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and Alcaraz defeated Kekmanovic in straight sets, six four, six four, six love. Zverev defeated Nori uh, in five sets, which we're going to talk about in a sec. But I mean, with Alcaraz, is he playing his way into the tournament? Do you think? I think he is. I think he's playing better and better with each match, and I can't really believe this is his first Australian Open quarterfinal. Um, he seems really at home on the courts, and he hadn't really had that much experience here before. I think he went out to. Maybe it was Berrettini or something in 2022 and didn't play last year. So, um, yeah, he's, he's taken to it really well. And I think the fact that um, he is able to kind of play himself into the tournament, get these matches under his belt without necessarily having to play too much um, too much time on court will help him when it gets physical later on in the tournament. So, I mean, he's upped his game. I think this one is also a case that Ketmanovic has obviously played so he, many he, he long matches. Tired, didn't he? Yeah, you, how can you not be, especially after having had, I mean, three five-setters, no, two five-setters and one four-setter, all of them 14 out of 15 sets of tennis played. It's a lot. It is a lot. And um, I think it was kind of, Kim said, it's almost a foregone conclusion, a bit like the Manorino match for Djokovic that that we will talk about, where it's not a contest because their, their contest is over because they've played so much beforehand. So it's hard to know because, I mean, a a fully fit Ketmanovic, I think, could do some damage. And I think he has the game to. Um, but this never really kind of got going from an excitement perspective, which is very different, obviously, to Zverev, who that was a, a final set tiebreak. So will it be the case again, Joel, that someone playing the long matches to get to the later stages will actually impact their chances in the quarterfinals? I know, because Zverev, I mean, not just this match, he has also played a lot of tennis, a lot more tennis, you know, on the courts of the Australian Open than Carlos Alcaraz to get to the quarterfinals. He came through against Cam Norrie, 7-5, 3-6, 6-3, 4-6, 7-6, uh, won that final set tiebreak, 10-3. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's into the quarterfinals. Cam Norrie, Britain's Cam Norrie's run has ended. Um, before we talk about Zverev, I mean, what did you make of, of Norrie's performance? The fact that he beat Kasper Ruud, played very, very well there. Probably one of his best ever Grand Slam performances. I actually personally think he upped it against Zverev, a player who he's had no success against in the past. He's not even won a set against him um, in the past. To push him the way he did... That was a pretty good effort, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I liked the misses he made. I was watching it. I think, Joel, we talked about this before we started recording. We were both up in the early hours watching some of that. Yeah. And um, I just like the fact he's going for it because I think he had a year last year where maybe he has some regrets about the fact that he didn't try to go for more and play more aggressively because he's definitely made a concerted effort to be more aggressive. And there are good misses and bad misses. And I think he made a lot of good misses um, at key moments. And previously, I think sometimes he has sort of been pushing the ball at times that forehand sitting up at, and that backhand obviously is very flat but he's able to almost redirect it steer it into the court rather than always hit it and to be honest I just really like the fact that he was playing a bit of a different game and it was actually causing quite a lot of problems for Zverev and it could have gone either way um, and I think you'd argue that he's back back at playing sort of top 10 tennis really so it's going to be interesting because he's got points to defend obviously in the golden swing um, I think he did pick up a 500. I think he picked up the Rio title. Yeah, he, he beat Alcaraz um, in the final, I believe. Yeah, he did. Clay court specialist. So when we hit the clay, <laughs> maybe that's when he'll get even better results. But um, I thought it was a good way to go out, but a shame because I did think at times if he had made a few more than he missed, I did think he would probably get that one because Zvera was a bit defensive. He was. And and, and I think I, I noticed that because of you know Nori coming into the net. And again, the, that, I think that links to the the aggressiveness and that that change in mindset. I think that he's had that um, he was coming in to kill off the points rather than just sort of push it back in play, get embroiled in rallies, and see kind of where it went. Actually, he was um, you know coming in for the kills. So I quite enjoyed seeing that. I, I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see where Cam Norrie goes from here. I mean, he didn't have the best of ends last season, and. He said in in his own words that he's going to take a great lot of confidence from this from these performances, and he thinks um, he's got top ten level in him. Do you see that as a realistic goal with the the tennis you've seen um, at the Australian Open from him? I think it's the when I say kind of he's playing top ten tennis. I think more than ten people can be playing top ten tennis. I think it's more like the level as opposed to where people currently he are. Could, at. He could be a danger danger player and and take out a top ten. Absolutely. I definitely think it's top 15. I think he's also got the dedication there, whereas I think mm. there's question marks around TFO at times and some of the, the players in that 10 to 15 bracket who aren't necessarily kind of getting the results or putting the work in or improving their game on the on the regular basis. So we all know that Cam's got the work ethic. And if he is adding to his game and he's been, you know, very high in the rankings before... Um, I think why not? Because he has got a tricky game for many people to play against, almost sort of Manorino-esque at times. Um, so you have to think he's going to have chances and hopefully um, on Wimbledon, this new aggressive game style, you've got to think that's got to be the perfect sort of surface, especially as you say, maybe he's coming into the net more. So um, one to watch. He definitely needs to keep on it with this aggressive mindset. I really, really enjoyed it. We've got to talk very quickly about the fact that there was a protest on the tennis court during this match. Um, it was sorted like relatively like quickly, but not by the right people. It was sorted by 
tennis fans as opposed to security. I think it was a, a Palestine protester getting on the court, throwing loads of leaflets around. It was a bit it was a bit farcical, to be honest. But security not really dealing with it. Fans sorting it out. Then coming back to, a, as you can imagine, a massive ovation. But yeah, very surprising that fans reacted quicker than security did. Yeah, and we actually saw this um, at UTS as well, where you know fans kind of jumped onto the court and i think mm. at tennis there is a, gen- a like a genuine problem where i think that people need to be much more alert in these situations i think for example at the us open there was another protest um and that was a climate change protest and coco goff said she was expecting it so I, you have to think that as you go through the tournament i mean that's bad wh- you don't want players thinking having that in their mind that they're expecting it i think that probably shows to me that tennis does have a problem with these sorts of things because it does feel like they're becoming more and more frequent yeah i mean we had the jigsaws of wimbledon with climate change um at the us open and now we've got the the free palestine protest that's happened here um so you you have to be alert to it you hope they brief security properly on it um because you don't want to see players or fans having to step in in this case and you want very swift action to be taken. I think quite often in big stadiums, it's very hard for action to be taken quickly, but there's no excuses here because it was front row. So someone should have dealt with it much quicker than they did. And the final two players who are into the quarterfinals from day nine in the men's bottom half of the draw, Daniel Medvedev and Hubert Herkatch. So Daniel Medvedev beat Nuno Borgs uh, in four sets. It really should have been three sets. He would have been kicking himself about that third set, but he got it job done 6-1 in the fourth. Um, we also had Hubert Herkatch end the spirited run of Arthur Cazot, the, the French wildcard, French reciprocal wild card so we've got medvedev her catch next i mean chris where 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 do you stand with this one because her catch he is arguably maybe the best server in the game at the moment given his numbers and medvedev the defensive wall as we all know him and how how far he likes to be at the back of the court what do you expect from that sort of matchup well i think medvedev's gonna try and make it go long i think that's kind of what's something that um borgia said after this match he said the way that Medvedev plays is he just grinds you down until you start missing and your level drops and that will be key that her catch I think has got to get past Medvedev in three or four sets definitely not five I don't think that he would come out on top in that situation and he's got to serve well as you say like he's got to serve him off the court it's the as one much thing he he's got it's the one thing he's got that's you know consistently infinitely better than what you know it has in in Medvedev's locker I mean it's fascinating to see his progression on serve um over the last few years because in 2018 he held 76 percent of his service games and in the past two seasons it's been up and around 90 percent um which ranks him you know in the, in the top three in the world so you'd expect Medvedev he's going to have to have, be really on it when it comes to returning. And, you know, I, I expect to see more of him just standing as far back as possible so that at least he can get the ball back in play. Yeah, and there's even a demonstration, I think, with Jim Courier was asking, like, yeah, where where to stand? And I thought, is this the time? Like, maybe take <laughs> this to the practice just telling course. her catch, like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, maybe it was just displaying the tactics. But, I mean, a lot of players are standing very far back. And I think you have to, mm-hmm. especially with Hercatch, with a serve as big as his. Um, and I always question the service position, the service return position of Medvedev. But obviously it works. I'd be bringing out the underarm serve more. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty quick going forwards as, w- uh, as well. I'm not sure that um, Hercatch is famous for his trick shots. Mm-hmm. But 
The question that I have around sort of Medvedev in this is that he thinks that he is very much kind of in contention here. Is he in contention based on what you've seen? Because losing a set like this from being up doesn't necessarily tell me that you're playing at the top of your game right now. Yeah, I think that third set will be a worry. And I don't think you can, you just can't give those opportunities, um, you know, at this level, particularly against someone like Hubert Hercatch, who's so strong on serve. You can't, you can't just let a player back into the game. And I, and I would agree with you in the sense that, yes, he, he's playing, he's playing capable tennis to potentially to get to a Grand Slam final, but he can't have those lapses in concentration and Against Nuno Borgs, number 69 in the world, I think he would have been disappointed himself that that wasn't a straight sets job and he had to go a bit further than he necessarily needed to. Especially in the heat. I mean, you don't want to spend mm. more time on court than you have to against opponents where you, you probably should get past them, especially given that scoreline in the third set. But her catch, I think it's good that he's winning the tie breaks because I think that was something in the United Cup that Ego was saying you know that, and people said against Zverev as well, potentially that he just wasn't getting the tie breaks won. Um, and you just think, how is how does he lose tie breaks with the serve that he does have? And um, I guess it's the return game that lets him down at times. So um, I think as well as serving well, he's going to have to return well. And I think that's something that will be kind of very kind of uh, decisive in the match. Um, but I'm not expecting too many long rallies in that one. No. No long rallies, lots of tie breaks. That's what I'm expecting. Um, before we go to a quick break, uh, we just want to quickly touch on the mixed doubles because Heather Watson and Joe Salisbury, they are into the quarterfinals. I believe we're going to have a British representation regardless of what happens because I think they're playing uh, Skupski um, and Krawczyk in the quarters. So, yeah, very good from the British point of view, I think, in the, in the mix. Is Heather Watson going to win a mixed doubles title? Another one, you know, after winning Wimbledon. I mean, mm. we talked about it on the last one. I think given the quality of the opponents they've taken out as well. Yeah. They took out a previous champions in Matos and Stefani. And then they took out the number eight seeds who are very... Imp- I mean, they're both very good doubles players. Um, but I mean, Neil Skupski, that's going to be a tricky one. You feel like it's going to be very much kind of the... Joe Salisbury versus Skupski, even like the Davis Cup battle. Oh, yes. Um, in some I mean, ways. Well, I mean, Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram are also out of the men's doubles. So maybe there's even more motivation from Salisbury there to focus on, you know, focus now on the mixed doubles now that he's out of the men's doubles as well. Yeah. And we should touch on the men's doubles very quickly because um, one of the podcast favorites, um, Rohan Bapana, is up to a career high ranking in the live rankings of number two. And with the top seeds also going out, if they win one more round, Matthew Ebden and Bapana, he will be the world number one, which wow. is the... It's incredible. At 43, it'll be the oldest world number one in doubles ever and the oldest first-time number one. Um, and that's just an unbelievable achievement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really hope that with, th- with that sort of um, result that he can get a win here, especially with an Aussie yeah. partner, you think that would be so fun. Um, but either way, I mean, defying the odds. And we thought, um, looking back at start of twenty. 23 that that sort of final slam run with Mertzer that was kind of a final hurrah and he had very much had other ideas it was the springboard to one of the best well the best season he's ever had so um looking forward to seeing if he can he can get it done and Indian number one in doubles would be well, wonderful it, India have had a cracking tournament because he obviously had the the Nagal story um you know in, in week one which was very heartwarming and Bapana uh, you know, gave the celebration to him. Maybe it's going to be the other way around now. Um, let's see. But uh, yeah, good luck to Babahana 
uh, one of we're the rooting for favorites. Him. We are rooting for you. Um, but we're going to take a short break now. Do join us in the second half where we will be taking a look back on all the action from day eight at Melbourne Park, plus looking ahead to what's in store on day 10, including the start of the quarterfinals action. So do not go anywhere. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly podcast and now we're going to move on to day 8 Chris and we're going to talk we're going to start with Andrei Rublev because the Brits are all out and the Australians are all out also in the men's draw because Alex Dumanor lost in 5 sets to Andrei Rublev Dumanor got bageled in that 5th set it was 6-4-6-7-6-7-6-3-6 love Rublev I want to start with that bagel because Dumanor is a player who is known for his conditioning his fitness and to get bageled in the fifth set he just ran out of steam he really did and it's such a shame because you just don't think that as you say that's not a Dimonar scoreline that no. we're used to um at all and I mean it does beg the question if there was that sort of extra level that Rublev could go to I mean it's very positive he was able to come through in the end in that mm. way um but I mean he just crumbled crumbled on serve really which is um a big shame I mean he just won I think it was 25% of first serve points. Um, and he doesn't have a big serve, so it does need to work. He does need to hit his spots, whereas it's the opposite with Rublev mm. um, doing kind of a wonderful job and getting 86% of first serve points won. So I think Rublev does have that sort of mode he can go to where he can just see it like a um, and, and hit it. You know, he, he can really do that. Um, and he did leave it all on the court. But, I mean, if you are... Dimana, I mean, it's not the way you necessarily want to go out. And he didn't necessarily play too badly um, in that set overall. I mean, he did hit five winners, three unforced errors. Um, but Rublev hit nine winners, four unforced errors, and a lot more um, conversions of break points. Is that the problem with Dimana's game? The fact that, you know, he doesn't necessarily have that weapon or that X factor, which as a result, in that fifth set, when you're, you're, you're knackered and you want some you want some cheap points or some you know free points from a big serve or you know some big ground strokes it's just not in his nature and and as a result of that he's having to work a lot harder at times when actually he'd want some free points which is what Rublev is able to do he's not a naturally aggressive player um and I think he's more of a counter puncher as probably how we describe it so he's not getting many free points on serve Mm. I think for the match, it was uh, six aces, six double faults. So, you know, that's that's a net equal there. And 
It's actually the server is bigger than you think it is. I've just had a look at some of the numbers. It's about 209 kilometers an hour for his fastest serve of the day. Um, pretty good average on the second serve, though. So he does make up for a little bit of that ground there um, with about 10 kilometers an hour uh, quicker on the second serve, the Rublev. Um, so that is something to go on. But I mean, he is playing great tennis. He did upset Djokovic. Um, it's just a shame, obviously, you can't play your best tennis all the time. And that final set was obviously, even with the crowd support, and he does normally play very well when he's playing for his country or in his country, um, it's, it's got to be a big blow for him because that match was highly entertaining until then. I mean, the statistic, I now have to give you the fact that Rublev has made the quarterfinals. He is 0-9 in men's singles quarterfinals. He's got Sinner next. Is he going to break his duck finally at a Grand Slam and get to a semi-final? I mean, it's Yannick Sinner and he's obviously, well, he's playing phenomenal phenomenal tennis and I'd have to say there's it's going to be 0-10. And, um, and I think that is obviously a big shame for Rublev because he's more than deserving of it. But I just think that in every draw, there is that, that someone at the quarterfinal stage, especially in the men's game, who is that bit better than him. Um and it's not because he doesn't have the level, but I think there are just some players when if you bump into them in the draw, like a Djokovic, a Medvedev, or a Sinner, at mm. this at this stage, they, they are, or an Alcaraz, they've got those four players at the top of the game who are going to make it very hard for you to get opportunities beyond the quarterfinal stage. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. But to see. 0-9, is, is that one of the sca- craziest records it's, that we have is. in Grand Slam I mean, tennis? Gonna re- I mean, it could reach, as I said, it could reach double digits. Um, and it it doesn't feel it just doesn't feel right because I think as I say I've, I see Rublev and I think at times he's played tennis that I think you know given the draw given the way it could pan out you know luck of the, the luck of the draw and all that I feel like at least once he should get his opportunity but it, it just shows that it's just tough I think when you get to quarterfinals you just might run into someone better than you and um, it's going to be hard against it's going to be very tough against Yannick Sinner because is it mental do you think Joel. I think that Rublev has matured and I think he's obviously got lots of experiences now in the bank at this level. But I do wonder if that is is baggage there and he's and he's thinking about it. And he's just come through a, a quite a big five set match against Dumanor and, and Yannick Sin has just been he's just been walking through the his his part of the draw. I mean, he had Karen Kachinov in round four. I thought that was going to be quite a tricky challenge for him. But he got it done in straight sets, six four seven five six three. So you think also Sinner is going to be fresher there. So it feels like all the it's all stacked and all leading towards a, a Sinner victory. It really is. Um, and I think on the on the Rublev, what can he do would be the question I'd say against Yannick Sinner. I think when he plays against some of these top players, I'm not sure the game plan is any different mm. from when he plays against some of the lower ranked players. It's, it's yeah. play front foot tennis. Um, it's hit that forehand big, it's take on the shots. But against Sinner, I mean, it's almost like playing a version of yourself that's just probably a level better at the moment in many ways because dangerous off both wings, um, similar in their build as well, similar in their stature. Um, But someone who's just really at the top of their game, um, you'd have to think that Sinner's going to get it. But I mean, should we, we shouldn't discount kind of the pedigree of Rublev. Obviously, he's won a Masters titles. And if you put yourself in the quarterfinals on nine occasions, um, that shows just your consistency at the top of the game in the top eight. So we've seen bigger upsets on the women's side, haven't we, Joel? We have. We have. I mean, before we talk about the, the, the women's draw, let's talk about the final 
two quarterfinals, uh, two quarterfinalists, sorry, that we have Novak Djokovic and Taylor Fritz. Djokovic double bageled Manorino. There was a pity cheer uh, when Manorino finally won a game at the 13th, 13th game in the match, but it was six love, six love, six three. I mean, Djokovic not really in fifth gear really at the start of this tournament but I think if there is a changing of the the tide um looking back on this tournament this was the match it happened it almost felt like a a practice match rather than a competitive match Mm. I I don't understand what what is it about Adrian Manorino I guess that Novak Djokovic found so easy in this match and yet every other (laughs) opponent it feels like Manorino just causes lots and lots of problems I think this was a, a man arena that was a little bit deflated from all that time spent on court. Um, I think he tends to cause more problems to some of the younger players who find him a bit awkward to play against. Um, like Jack Draper obviously went down to him in Sofia. And then there's a few other players like Ben Shelton, another young player. It's not, it's very wily, you know, it's a very tricky game that he has, mm. a game that um, he doesn't kind of give you the points and he doesn't give you the balls or the speed of the balls that you're used to. And he has a crazy string tension. So I think it kind of lends itself to being one that you have to get used to playing against more. And I think Djokovic, with all his experience, um, I think the tricks of Manorino um, don't necessarily kind of add up to more than the, the tricks and experience of Novak Djokovic. And I mean, he played really well um, and he said it's the best he's played in a while. And you just have to think, poor Manorino, you know, of all, no one wants to be playing against Djokovic when he says he's the best he's played in a while, especially when you're just coming off the back of three, five setters. Um, but still, I mean, you, I mean did, you did wonder at times, was this going to be a triple bagel job? Um, and the was last he going to finish the match? Yeah. <laughs> and the last time that happened for a player to win without dropping a game at a Grand Slam was 1993. So uh, who was it? Do we happened. know? I'm not sure who it was, but it's, we'll have it's, to look it up. It's, we've got to look it up. Um, it's not happened at the Australian Open, but it was certainly um, on the cards. I mean, Djokovic has Taylor Fritznets, who took out um, Stefanos Sissipas. Let's not really look at the head-to-head. I mean, I'm assuming Taylor Fritz won't want to look at the head-to-head against Djokovic because it's 8-0 and um, in favour of Djokovic. But that was a good victory for Fritz against Sissipas. I think, you know, there's been a lot of hype around Ben Shelton... Uh, when it comes to American men's tennis and arguably maybe also like Francis Tiafo, you know, we had that great run from, from Christopher Eubanks as well at Wimbledon last year, not really spoken about Taylor Fritsch that much, but this was a very good win for him. And I'll say to me, sort of announced himself back up at the top of the tree of the, uh, the U S men's game. Yeah. And you did, you did call this, you're a big believer in Fritz's mm. game, Joel. And I think it was quite nice because you feel like he's someone who, does apply himself, who does have the game, but he doesn't always get the result. I think at the US Open, he, he had a very, very easy path to the quarterfinal. It was almost a non-event. And then obviously going down very easily in that quarterfinal. Yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be a different way for him to go into the match. I think he will have more hopes and expectations than he has done previously. Um, he did play well, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a big step up. Um, and having never done it before, Djokovic coming off the back of playing some of his best tennis, I think it's probably the wrong round to meet Novak Djokovic at a slam, if there ever is a right one. Yeah, I, I, it's it's tough. It's very tough to see, you know, it, it not going Novak Djokovic's way. I mean, one thing we need to talk about is the Vegemite, the Vegemite uh, debacle 
uh, yes. with Taylor Fritz's girlfriend, Morgan. Morgan. She said, or she challenged to Fritz that if Fritz won, she would have some Vegemite and the uh, whole, the whole jar. Apparently, we didn't get the whole jar though, did we? We didn't. She had one spoonful and did not like it, but. <laughs> I would say, on the subject of that, I love Vegemite. I actually prefer it to Marmite. I really do. So I'm not sure where you stand on this, Joel, but I would happily, you know, eat the whole pot of Vegemite. Do we, on our next tour catch-up, do we need to have some Vegemite um, between us and do a little, Ooh, little taste session that between is ourselves? I can pop over to Mama. There's a British su- supermarket there that has um, <laughs> Vegemite, of all things, which seems more of an Australian supermarket. But I somehow don't think Vegemite are going to be signing up uh, Morgan um, as a brand ambassador anytime soon. No, but maybe they can kind of convince her as a sceptic yeah. to embrace yeah. it. That potentially could be a nice move <laughs> from them. But Tennis Weekly is much better at sipping a Pims and doing a taste test that way than we are going for the, uh, the Vegemite or the yeast-based uh, spreads. Um, I mean, let's move on to the uh, the women's uh, the women's draw in the bottom half because talking about the the bottom half, it feels like a complete world away from that top half because we've got Krachikova, we've got Sabalenka, we've got Coco Goff. There feels like there's threats everywhere, and uh, one of the reasons for that is Krachikova came through Mira Andreeva in a really tough battle four six six three six two. This was very impressive. I, I feel like this is a Krachikova of of old you know we've not really seen much of her at this stage of a grand slam singles draw and you know there may be you know bad blood we don't not sure between Krachikova and Snyakova with that split um you know in in the doubles but maybe maybe it's having its desired effect I don't know I know she still likes to play all the tournaments available in in grand slam she's still in the the ladies the ladies doubles but um she's still and the she mix seems, is she in the mix as well yeah, and the mix maybe. as well yeah but she seems to be um, bringing it in the singles, which, uh, as I say, we've not really been at this talking point with her for, for a while. I can confirm she did actually pull out of her, thank goodness she pulled out of her mixed first round yesterday. So that was definitely a good move. But, I mean, it's a bit of a shame for Andreva in this sense because there was so much talk about it. And it's almost like she when she went up against someone who you thought, right, maybe she's the favourite for this one, then it does become very difficult. And that's going to be something that some of the girls in the top half of the draw are going to have to contend with, um, not having um, that sort of free hitting of not being the favourite. So um, I think it was a shame for her in that sense. But I mean, Krajikova in that first set, it was really ugly. It was not good. I think it's impressive that she found a way. And I think that's her, as we've talked about before, the experience on the tour. Um, but in that first set, it was four winners and 21 unforced errors from Kajikova. So it was pretty much as bad as it gets. And balls were firing over the baseline um, of all sorts. Then she really did level the ship in the second with 14 winners to 15 unforced errors. Whereas Andreva did kind of let loose a little bit more um, and she did miss more. And then it was pretty, pretty good from the final set with 14 winners to three unforced errors. So she got better and better as the match went on. Um, but against, you know, in, in the next round against Sabalenka, you can't afford to start slowly. You've really got to get going quickly. And especially a player who's caused her a lot of trouble in the past. But again, good to see her at this stage. And we've seen her play some amazing tennis in the past. And having someone else who's playing at the top of the game um, is always beneficial because she was talking about whether she should be in the big three you know, 
less than a year ago and then she dropped off the map so i'm slowly i'm slowly starting to see that argument but uh against sabalenka her head-to-head i mean she's lost four out of her five previous encounters with her i mean all i will say about sabalenka is that she is just strolling through this draw. She beat Anna Samova, who I thought was playing pretty good tennis um, in Melbourne, 6-3, 6-2. Is there an argument to say that Sabalenka hasn't had that test yet and that could could make her go unstuck You know, later in the tournament? Do you see that argument? Or do you think actually she would just rather have these very easy victories and not be tested until these later rounds? I think with her, so much of it, I mean, it is mental. Um, in the final against Coco Goff, she did completely go off the boil um, mentally and she really should have probably got that wrapped up. But Coco was rock solid when it came to those big moments. And you have to think that she's done this before where she's played impeccable tennis until it gets really tight. And then that's where you see like which Sabalenka is going to be there that day because she did play brilliantly in Australian Open final last year. But again, I mean, it was pretty close and a couple of double faults serving for it here and there could have led to a different result. But maybe I'm thinking that having kind of got to number one and then having that taken away, maybe that's really put the fire in her because she hasn't won a slam in the last year. And she is someone who you would expect to have pushed on more than that than she has. So it's it's weighing up the expectation versus kind of, is it the fire in the belly? And for me, I think it looks like she's really fired up for this one. Um, and I think she loves playing in Australia. So I'm not sure she needs a test. I think actually... Ideally, not having a test is the best way for her to come through the tournament. Mm. Well, another player who's not really been tested either is Coco Goff, who came through Magdalena Fretch of Poland, 6-1, 6-2. She has Marta Kostuk next, who defeated Tima Fever, 6-2, 6-1, uh, to reach the, the second week of a slam for the first time. I say Coco Goff, very similar story. She had a great you know, US Open, winning her first ever Grand Slam as well. Are we just destined for Goff Sabalenka in the semis? Or do you see Kostuk posing any sort of problems to, to Coco? She's a fantastic mover. Um, and some of the gets I've seen from her have been really, really impressive. Coco is a better, again, I've talked about this before, it's almost a better version of Kostuk in many ways because they're fantastic movers. Mm. But Coco has really brought her game on an awful lot. And I don't think she's like a Yastremska where she can take her game, you know, to a fantastic level that's almost unplayable. And I think Yastremska can hit you off the court. That's not how Kostrick plays her matches. Um, and Coco's defense will make it very hard for someone to get past her and get the ball past her, especially with these sort of very heavy balls that they're playing with down under. So I don't think it's going to be a great matchup for Kostrick. But I think, will there be chances... There might be, but I think that we are destined for a goff. Um, I mean, I, I don't think Krajikov is going to take out Sabalenka and I don't think that Kostic is going to take out goff. So I'd say yes then, Joel. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very exciting. It, it's, it's, it's interesting. I say when we, with Sabalenka, you, you don't get a lot of players defend trophies um, or titles on the WTA Tour. And Sabalenka's got this golden opportunity, I think, to do that You know, at a, at a Grand Slam level. But similarly, Coco Goff, She's picking up where she left off, um, you know, at the US Open last year. So it's fascinating to see how that develops on, um, you know, in the bottom half of the ladies' draw. I mean, looking forward to day 10, tennis tomorrow, we've got Marta Kostuk, Coco Goff, Djokovic Fritz, Krachikova Sabalenka, Sina Rublev. I'm going to ask Chris for your predictions in name and number of sets, please. 
and we've got right. some doubles. We've got some doubles um, as well. As I say, the marquee doubles match is Watson, Salisbury, Krawchick, Skupski. But um, yes, well, I'll start I'm with come... the doubles then. I've got to start with the doubles. <laughs> okay, just for, right. The token Watson, Salisbury, Krawchick, Skupski prediction. I think it's two sets. Watson, Salisbury. Ooh, okay, okay, right. Now on to the singles. What are we going with? Kostuk Goff. Goff in two. Djokovic Fritz. I think Djokovic in three. Krachikova Sabalenka. I think there might be something wild going on in this. I hope this is like WTA tings on the <laughs> at the Australian <laughs> Open. So I, I might say Sabalenka in three with a really rogue set thrown in. <laughs> Sina Rublev. I would love this to go to more than three sets, but I do just think Sinner is playing so well and against Kachanov, he had the perfect preparation for this one. So I'm going to say Sinner in three. I'm going to go Sinner in five. I agree with you on all the other results except that. I'm going to go Sinner in five. Okay. Um, I think Rublev, it's still going to happen, but I think he's going to put up a fight more than uh, straight sets. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Interestingly, Novak Djokovic is on the day session um mm. on Rod Laver Arriva that doesn't happen very often um I I can't tell you the last time it happened but I was reading it earlier it was a long long time ago and I've I've seen some rumblings that this is in preparation because the semi-final will be the day session oh, against Sinner okay. so people are saying maybe this is maybe a, a yeah. scheduling request from Djokovic to maybe play in the heat of the day Ooh. so that he's ready for it but it I mean well be he hasn't had to for years so maybe um, he just thought I'd want to warm up a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I don't feel like the that's going to have a big factor, but who knows? Um, but yeah, we've got some very exciting matches in the quarterfinals to come tomorrow. Before we wrap up this episode, Chris, we are going to be talking about collector set. Um, we don't have I, to, Joel. We honestly don't have to. It's I fine. alluded to it at the beginning because it has been a very, very eventful collector set. Um, we had our six players, Grigor Dimitrov, Jack Draper, Alex Dimonor, Naomi Osaka, Emma Raducanu, Alina Svitolina. All those players are now out. So we can already give the collector set result and announce our winner. Unheard of. Has this ever happened before? I know. I can't remember. I, like on all the editions we've done of collector set, I feel like this is one of the quickest we have ever had. And it no is calculators also... either. Yeah. No calculators either. And it is also one of the highest scoring ever collector sets. We were very, very close to actually having for the first time six out of six player pick predictions correct. But sadly, that was not the case. However, we did have a outright winner. So drum roll, please. Oh, come on. Here we go. With five correct answers, it is Lynn Pin. Lin Pin, well done. You well are our collector set AO champion. And this has thrown up a bit of a quandary because we, we believe that Lin Pin, you have won you've won collector set before, so we cannot give you we cannot give you another mug. No, so we have a wonderful option for you. We have Tennis Weekly merch now. Thank goodness we got this made. Because <laughs> otherwise you'd have to have another mug. So we'll yeah, be contacting you'd have to you deal with a second mug. Exactly. We'll be contacting you about which one of our lovely pieces of merch you would like. We have a lovely cap. We have a lovely to- two designs of tote bags. So we will be messaging you. But congratulations on that win. 
um, five is a phenomenal effort, especially because it's quite bold to say that none of these players would make it, you know, to the quarterfinals mm. or further because we thought some of these would be the form players. So very, very impressive. And there's some other people who also did very well, didn't they, Joel? Did you yes. do Did you do well? I did. And one of them was me, surprisingly. Yes. Uh, there were a handful of players uh, with four correct answers. So special shout out to these uh, players who got involved. David Blair, Irene Gango, the tennis porker, Liv, Laura Kneebone and Ian Ray as well as myself, all getting four correct answers. But uh, Lin Pin takes it outright with five. And how did Kim do out of Kim and I? <laughs> that is a very good point because we do need to settle now the slam, the slam spoon of shame. And we actually already have a definitive winner as well for that. And it is... Oh. It's you, Chris. Chris. Oh, Joel, I've had it for... One correct answer. I've had it for Kim a got year. Two, you got one, so. Uh, and I got that on the first first <laughs> round, didn't I? Osaka, that was it. Mm, yes. So I'm an optimist. You, is you that can a crime? Keep the, you can keep the spoon for now. The slam spoon of shame is staying your staying with you. A whole year with the spoon of shame. <laughs> it's um particularly painful because that's actually my sister. Laura Does Nibon, it actually who, exist? Yeah, I still haven't well. actually seen it in person. I want to see it. I've Where not seen it in it? person, but they're decorated beautifully. We've got faces on them and everything. <laughs> Um, but I think Kim physically has them, but in terms of who has them right now, it's, it's been me for a while. Yes. Well, yes, you can keep it now until the French open. Um, I'm, I'm slightly relieved cause I was a little bit nervous, but, uh, unless Sinner wins though, maybe I can, maybe I will get rid of it if Sinner wins. Oh, okay. We'll see. We'll see. Keep I'll make on, my case uh, later in the tournament. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll wait till the end of the, we'll wait till the end of the week, but, uh, Listeners, we're going to end our round four catch up here. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from the Australian Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube. And the handle for them is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can purchase Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Wednesday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our quarterfinals AO catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.